And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Hooray! And today, we're actually talking about a movie we like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's only been like half a dozen of those. There's so, so few. <laughs> yeah. And I swear, we like so many movies. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Listening, I feel like if, if someone who doesn't know us were just casually listening to this show, they might easily come away with the impression that we're we're not really big fans of movies and be confused as to why we're making a podcast about I mean, them. we clearly watch a lot because we talk about <laughs> well, it yeah. that's, that's true. And yeah, if, if they're paying attention to the what we've been watching part, I guess they would they would know that. There are things we like, but there are things we like. There are so many things we like, and yeah. the movie is one that we like. At least I assume that your opinion did not radically change. In this oh no! It, so I have, uh, you know, a sort of unofficial, occasionally shifting mental list of perfect movies. Yeah, yeah. it's a very short list. There's there's never more than like half a dozen movies on it, but yeah. this one has been on there for a long time. Yeah, no, I, uh, so, so quickly, we're, we're talking about No Country for Old Men, uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen's, uh, 2007 film, and, uh, Cormac McCarthy adaptation, I would argue the only good Cormac McCarthy <laughs> adaptation. Um, well, there, ha- there haven't been that many, uh, and yet, although The Road wasn't bad, it wasn't, it wasn't nearly as good as this. I thought The Road was a terrible adaptation. Um, I didn't well, like it. May not have been a, may not have been a great adaptation, but it wasn't a bad movie. Maybe that's a different different conversation, I guess. But that's true. Anyway, so No Country for Old Men. Um, and I will start out saying that I I, I think this is the fourth or fifth time I've watched it. Um, and I had it at a four point five, and this time I was like, why the fuck do I still have it at a four point five? And I moved it up to a five. What am I? Yeah, yeah, no, you five is, stars. Definitely, uh, yeah. I, I have more of those than you do, but this is definitely one of. Them. Should we? Uh, I, I believe this is our only Coen Brothers movie on here. I think that you are correct. Uh, but maybe we should start by talking about the Coen Brothers. I would love to start by talking about the Coen Brothers. Uh, which uh, they've probably come up in the, you know, segments about other stuff we've been watching. Cause I'm sure. <laughs> watch Coen Brothers stuff a lot because fucking love the Coen Brothers. Fucking great. <clears throat> if like if I had to. If I was forced to pick a favorite director, I would probably go with the Coen Brothers. Just I, I, I don't know of anyone else who I think has the percentage, the batting average that they have <laughs> in terms of uh, not just in terms of like making good watchable movies, but in terms of like masterpieces. They have like at least four. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a good batting average. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, before we dive in, I'll, I'll say, obviously, we think if you haven't watched this movie, go watch the fucking movie. Like, don't listen to us talk about it for an hour. <laughs> yeah, like, for go, sure. go find it. It's it's fucking great. So, um, so Joel, do you remember what your, like, introduction to the Coen Brothers was or what your journey with the Coen Brothers has been? You know, <laughs> my introduction to the Coen Brothers, I believe, although I was not aware of them or who they were at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you remember this. There was a point where one of the we we had been out grocery shopping with mom or something. We being Jared and I, our brother, mm-hmm. and we came home and you were there with a guy you were dating at the time, <laughs> watching the Hudsucker Proxy. I don't know if you remember this. Who was I with? I think it was Chris. Oh dear God! 
Well, I it might don't, have been James. But to the be two clear, two of them blend together in my head. Well, they were both abusive assholes, so that makes yeah. sense. To be clear, I remember very little of any time I spent with Chris, so that could be why I have no memory yeah. of it. <laughs> well, at any rate, the two of you had rented it somewhere, and we came in like five minutes into it and okay. sat and watched the rest of it. I still have not. I haven't rewatched it actually, um, but that would have been my introduction to them. And I remember thinking that it was funny even then. I mean, I would have been, I don't know how old I would have been, 13, maybe. Um, yeah, if it was Chris. I think the the first thing of theirs that I saw that really, really grabbed me was possibly this one, honestly, because we saw this one in the theater. And I, I saw, I saw, you know, I saw like the Big Lebowski I would have seen probably not too long after this. And that uh, for for many years was my favorite comedy and Fargo I would have seen after this probably. Yeah, I think, honestly, this was probably my first, like, real introduction to them. Okay. What about you? It might have been, I might have been mine, too. I, we did go see this in theaters, and I have such a, I have such a vivid memory of seeing it. We saw it in a, in a theater in Bellingham that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the building's I, still there, but it's sitting there empty. It's very sad. Yeah, and I remember... I remember watching this movie and just be, it was one of those experiences, man. It was, I mean, it was like Green Knight most recently. It's happened to me, you know, it happens to me periodically. It's my favorite thing with a movie where I just get like lost in it. Like I'm just like Mm -hmm. fucking in it. And I remember at the end of the movie when Tommy Lee Jones gives his, uh, his final monologue um, and he stops in the screen at black. I remember I actually went like, 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 like hadn't breathed. (laughs) Yeah. Two minutes. Um, and I, I don't remember. I mean, like, I, at this point in my life, I have watched the vast majority of the Coen Brothers films. Um, yeah. Their only feature that I haven't seen is Intolerable Cruelty. I've seen all the rest of their features. I have seen Intolerable Cruelty. I I don't. I'm trying to remember if I watched The Man Who Wasn't There. I saw that one only once. The, the Coens are definitely, as with all great directors, but really with them, they are definitely an example of, like, all of their movies get better when you watch them again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like there's all of their movies have they they all have layers that benefit from repeat viewing. So my favorites of theirs are all ones that I have watched several times, and there are several of them. <laughs> uh, but I, so like the man who wasn't there, Hudsucker Proxy, Barton Fink. I've only seen those once each, and it's been a long time. So I remember really liking them, but I'm sure there are. It's, I'm going to have to go back to them someday, but. Okay, uh, the internet, tell, you know, Letterboxd tells me I have, in fact, seen The Man Who Wasn't There. And, I mean, apparently I saw Hudsucker Proxy, but I didn't mark it as watch, probably because I literally have zero memory of even the incident that you are describing. So, the instance that you are describing. So, I don't think it stuck with me because nothing from that time did. So, at some point, yeah. I should probably go back and watch it. But I think that I have seen all of the rest of their... Well, I mean... <laughs> I suppose that before I saw No Country for Old Men, I saw their remake of The Lady Killers in theaters. Oh, did you? I did. It was. Yeah, that would have been a couple of years before this. A friend of uh, like a friend of mine wanted to go or whatever. And I liked Tom Hanks. And I know a lot of people really hated that movie. I I mostly don't remember having much in the way of feelings about it at all. (laughs) Yeah, I, I saw that one. That's that's the only one of theirs that I've seen that I would say is is less than really good. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I remember finding it entertaining enough. Yeah, and I, I really don't remember it that well. I will say that for me, I tend, the Coen brothers tend to tend to lose me 
um, at their more humor focused movies. Um, right. So I really dislike Raising Arizona. I really Raising Arizona is the, yeah, the Raising Arizona is not a favorite of mine. It is, in my opinion, it is it is lesser Coen Brothers, but it's that still puts it above most other movies. But I it's don't uh, like it's watching it. I would probably rank it just above maybe like The Man Who Wasn't There, which again I've only seen once, and so I don't. I've seen Raising Arizona three or four times, and it still it doesn't grab me the way most of their stuff does. So I don't care for Raising Arizona. I did not like Burn After Reading. Um, I did not like Intolerable Cruelty. And I fucking hate The Big Lebowski. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I still think The Big Lebowski is, is a, a work of genius. Uh, but I, I rewatched it recently, like within the last couple of years. And I have a much harder time laughing at Walter Sobchak, John Goodman's character now than I used to. It changes the feel of the whole movie quite a lot. Uh, you know, recent events, the way the world's been going, the fact that people like him are running it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it makes it a lot harder to laugh at. So that that definitely changed my overall perception of the movie a bit. But I still think it's amazing. Never landed for me. Um, I also do not care for Inside Lewin Davis, although at some point I should probably watch it again. One of Joel's favorites. Inside Lewin Davis is probably my favorite Coen Brothers movie, if I had to, if I had to say. And I'm kind of on the fence about Oh Brother Where Art Thou, although obviously I love the music, but I've never like really connected with the movie. That said, <laughs> there are many Coen Brothers films I love. Um, uh, probably my favorites are either No Country for Old Men or Fargo, and I suspect the answer to which of those is my favorite just depends on which one I've more recently seen. Um, right. <laughs> but I also like- and there's there's a lot of those those two are are uh, I mean they're a natural pair. Yeah, the, the themes are very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I absolutely, I love Blood Simple, and I feel like people don't talk about it enough. I love Blood Simple. Yeah, um, I, I got I, the first time I saw Blood Simple. There was when I was living in Portland. There was a theater that was doing they that did like uh, it was like a three dollar second run theater that they would do like a series of of uh, retrospective screenings every month, and they did they showed Blood Simple, and I would see it, and it just blew me away. I loved it. I still love that one. Yes, and also just like insanely young Francis McDormand, just fucking mm-hmm. killing it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love that one. Um, I do like Miller's Crossing, although I don't love it as much as you. I lo- yeah, I love Miller's Crossing. Um, I like Barton Fink a lot, but again, maybe not quite love, but like. Um, and I I love A Serious Man, which is probably Eric, yeah. which is definitely Eric's <laughs> favorite. That's one of Eric's favorite movies of all time. It's a great movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, like I really I really liked both True Grit and Hail Caesar mm-hmm. when I saw them in theaters, but I haven't seen them since. Um, and I also only saw the Ballad of Buster Scruggs once, but I did like it. So, I mean, there's definitely, like, a lot more that I like than that I don't. There are a couple of the Like, honestly, the fact that I hate The Big Lebowski so much is probably only half the fault of the movie and half the fault of the annoying men who obsessively love that movie and get mad at me for hating it. It, it, is, it is one of those movies, yeah, that has a... <laughs> the, the fan base is a problem. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, I definitely like, you know, if the Coens are putting something out, like I am definitely fucking there. Like <laughs> you, you you know about Joel Cohen's next project, right? Is he doing the Macbeth thing? Right, but he's doing it without Ethan. Oh. It's just him. Cuz apparently Ethan Cohen didn't feel he didn't want to make a movie. Oh. Uh so what? uh Joel went ahead and made it without him. Shit. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I'm not quite sure what the story is there or if that's a, 
Quite a stack. It'll be a yeah. I mean, hell yeah, Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand as the Macbeths and Brandon Gleason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited about it. I think I'm sure it's going to be great, but it is a little weird. Ah, fascinating. Anyway, so we love them overall. We love them, even if we don't love every single thing. We think they're great. Um, and of the movies that we love. No country for old men. Real high on the list. How do you feel about Cormac McCarthy? Might be another thing that's worth. I, I am also yeah. That was another thing we need. I am I I haven't read any of his stuff in a while, but I went through a, a Cormac McCarthy phase uh, when I was a little younger. Um, so I read this one. I read uh, I read The Road. I read um, I read a couple of his older ones that I'm I'm drawing a blank on the names of them now. Child of God was one. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you read the the trilogy? I haven't read the Border Trilogy yet. Uh, I I own them. I have like a single volume of all three of them that I found at a used bookstore somewhere, but I haven't read them yet. Oh, and I read Blood Meridian, of course, which right. is also a that's that's probably his best one in I, I think in sort of general opinion and probably in my opinion as well. Um, I didn't read No Country until after I saw the movie. It's a very close adaptation. There, there really is. It, it's probably the. It's one of the closest adaptations I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. But it, but it's interesting the how well it fits into the like. It's a perfect marriage of it is. source material and because it's yeah, the way that the way that the Coen brothers portray violence mm-hmm. in their movies. And which it's not a, it's not present in all their movies, but it's present in most of them, even the comedies. Yep. Violence is like a it's a, a, it's brutal and it inserts itself into the lives of everyday people, often in extremely unexpected and shocking ways mm-hmm. and sometimes in funny ways. <laughs> um, well, this is the thing that I think that I think works the best in this adaptation is that I feel like. Cormac McCarthy has has a justifiable reputation as like an American icon of writing, um, and I I like Cormac McCarthy a lot. Although I can only read him when I'm in a really specific mood, because boy, it takes a lot of focus to follow stuff mm-hmm. um, without quotation marks. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I I love Cormac McCarthy, and I love the sort of like hollow sad thing that he makes me feel. Um, mm-hmm. But also, he's really funny. In like weird yeah. ways, and in the specific weird way that the Cohen brothers are funny, and I think right. this is that why is a lot of his—I yeah. feel like this is why a lot of his adaptations have not worked as well because I don't feel—I feel like like listening to this dialogue, particularly. I mean, can, fucking Tommy Lee Jones. I mean, can yeah. <laughs> could yep. we, could not be better cast, and like the the. Oh my god, I just I feel like I can almost like eat the dialogue. Like it's delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so every fucking line, it's so sparse and so good. And <laughs> just like and but also like the beats are all correct for it to be right. fun. And you could do that same thing and not get the funny element of it, I think. Right. And then it wouldn't be as good. Right. And you there's moments like um the moment like there's a there's definitely stuff that is like a perfect marriage of like source material and director and then there's moments like the one where uh Llewellyn gets woken up on the Mexican side of the border by a mariachi band for some fucking reason that is like pure Cohen's <laughs> like that is exactly the kind of like out of left field weird funny thing that then gets interrupted by like a horrifying thing when they realize that he's you know 
on the verge of death. (laughs) I think they just thought he was somebody who had passed out drunk and they were going to fuck with him. And then it was like, oh, he's been bleeding for 12 hours. (laughs) Pure Coens. Like, no, it's, uh, it's extreme. It's, it's just so good. It's so good. I, how do you even, how do you want to talk about this movie? Like, honestly, I feel like I could just like touch on favorite moments. I don't know what we, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting. The, like, you know, it's all, it's all set around the Texas Mexico border, which the, the Mexican border and the conflict that kind of crosses back and forth over it is a major theme for Cormac McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not in all of his books, but, uh, you know, the, the trilogy is called the Border Trilogy. And with Blood Meridian... I think the Border Trilogy were the first Cormac McCarthy books I read, maybe after The Road. Um, and I, I fucking loved those books and ended up just, like, sobbing like a fucking baby by the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I need to... Yeah, I just haven't got to it yet. I have too many books. But, yeah, I get it. And Blood Meridian, of course, is also... Yeah. You know, it's about a group of guys who cross into Mexico to hunt down natives. Mm-hmm. So it, it has that. And it's I think it's set in 1980, I believe, the, this movie. Yes. That is uh, so, so it has that that specific milieu of like kind of the early days of the. Well, I don't know how I don't know. I don't know enough about the timeline of that to necessarily say the early days, but a different period of the like the drug war. Right. And the the, you know, stuff crossing the border with Mexico and. So it's a really it's an interesting setting. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, <clears throat> it's. I mean, it's. It was so interesting to me watching it this time and and thinking about how like well because I was trying. Well, one of the things I was thinking about was watching this is like why did we watch this movie? What did we get from this movie other than it being just a fucking great movie? Uh, <laughs> and I was thinking about. <clears throat> I found myself thinking about. So there's a so Tommy Lee Jones as the as Sheriff Ed Tom. Um, <laughs> has several yeah. um, several sort of monologue sequences um, and honestly every line that Tommy Lee Jones delivers in this movie is just pure fucking gold but um, right, the movie opens with him doing a voiceover about sort of the, the nature of, of crime today and how it's mm-hmm. he it's can't wrap evolved his head in the he right can't. there were there were people when he was sheriffs when he was young several of them didn't even wear a gun right and now things have have escalated to this point that he can't, he can't understand it. And he's starting to feel like in order to, to do anything about it, you have to be willing to be part of the world. And he doesn't think he can do it or he's starting to think he can't do it. And what is interesting to me as I looked at this movie, which is just a brilliant film, but I think that probably what, because Sheriff Ed Tom is, like he's a very conservative person, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and if anything, this is made even more clear. There is only one semi-long piece of dialogue from Ed Tom in the book that was not in the movie, and um, I looked it up. It might have been a little longer than this, but um, but this was the gist of it, or at least the end of it. Um, so here, a year or two back, me and Loretta went to a conference. I got sat next to this woman. She kept talking about the right wing this and the right wing that. I ain't even sure what she meant by it. She kept on, kept on. Finally told me, said, I don't like the way this country is headed. I want my granddaughter to be able to have an abortion. And I said, well, ma'am, I don't think you got any worries about the way the country is headed. The way I see it going, I don't have much doubt about what she'll be able to have an abortion. I'm going to say that not only will she be able to have an abortion, she'll be able to have you put to sleep, which pretty much ended the conversation. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, well, that specific piece of... But I remember I read that at group. 
Um, and I think that one of those, one of the things I was thinking about is that I think part of what I and I can't speak for you, but I think part of what I resonated with in this film was this sort of conservative worldview placed by many of the of, of the characters. And watching it now, I'm like, but that's not at all the point of the story. <laughs> no, in, in fact, the, the 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 movie at the end specifically comes in and guts that argument <laughs> like very specifically i kept going back to javier bardem's quote where he he says um just playing the truly terrifying uh shit what's his name um Chigur, Chigur, Anton Chigur, Anton yeah. Chigur, um where he says right before he kills woody harrelson he says uh you know if if the rule that you followed brought if the road that you followed and the rule the rule that you followed brought he did say rule yeah yeah the rule that you followed brought you here of what use was the rule and you know he thinks he's making a point but and and i mean whatever he always thinks he's making a point but (laughs) but like i kept thinking about that because i was like the fact of the matter is like this is what Tommy Lee, like Ed Tom believes that the world is rapidly going downhill, that these things are happening in a way that they have never happened before. And as he gets older, he feels less and less capable of of dealing with that. And as Joel said, there's a whole scene at the end of the movie where this guy is like, this has always it has this has always been true. All of this has always mm-hmm. been true. Like nothing, <laughs> nothing has really changed. And the fact of the matter is that the rule by which Ed Tom lives his life did not work and kind of mm-hmm. broke him uh, <laughs> because he couldn't adapt or wrap his mind around sort of the reality of the world he had this other world like he had this other existence in mind of what he felt like things were well and there's also there's also a part of it that i think one could say is a, a slightly more nihilistic bent to it that it is said a couple times in the movie that you you can't stop what's coming sure so don't you know ed tom is is expending the last of his energy trying to hold off this thing that's coming and it's pointless it can't be done right but what he holds what he's trying to hold off has always been there it's not like a it's not right. like a thing and i think and it was so fast i mean you know the fucking title of the movie for god's sake right. yeah. <laughs> it's not like and it's so interesting to me to think of me of me at least and i think i think dad more or less like this movie a little artistic for his taste but i think he he at least enjoyed it. It has enough of a Western sensibility that he would have, yeah. Right. And that I think that there's that thing of, like, resonating with that and just completely missing the actual point of the story right. in many ways. Which I think is just somehow, like, a not really an allegory, but, like, a, a general <laughs> sign of the way that we were taught to look at stories and how we... Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's part of the thing with this movie is because you have, like... There, there are there are elements of this movie. This movie is like a philosophical treatise. Like mm-hmm. you could you, you could do dissertations on this movie, and I'm sure people have. People have, in fact. <laughs> uh, but it, it is also a very effective like chase mm-hmm. action movie when it when it goes oh, into those parts. Oh, and God, some uh, of the shots. It's so beautiful. It's <laughs> 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 just ah, oh. whew. Just absolutely gorgeous. But yeah, I mean, it, it functions both as this very complex and, you know, detailed sort of philosophical <laughs> thing on life, as well as being just a really fucking fun movie to watch. Right. And as just since we're, since I mentioned the thing, Roger Deakins was the director of photography, who, of mm-hmm. course, is fucking 
amazing. The great, the great Roger Deakins, Roger Deakins who has done so many movies, um, and who I believe just won a Oscar for nineteen seventeen, right? I believe so. Yeah. Anyway, he's done many, many amazingly beautiful movies. <laughs> yeah, including he's worked with the Coens several times. He also did Fargo, and mm-hmm. he did No Brother, and he did True Grit, and A Serious Man, and a bunch, a bunch of them. Yeah, the Coens like to work with people repeatedly. That's a, that is often a hallmark of like the great filmmakers that mm-hmm. they have a stable of people that they work with. That, and that presumably who want. want to work with them, which I feel right. like is an important. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, they also, uh, Carter Burwell did the music and he's also, he's been with them since blood simple. He did the, mm-hmm. the memorable main theme yeah. from, from blood simple. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, I just, I just could, I just kept thinking about that, about like watching this. And this is so much, I mean, it is just such an entertaining movie, but it is also just like, so much like it's so much more complex of a story than I understood in the beginning. And part of that was probably just because I was young and like mm-hmm. never hadn't hadn't learned very well how to. But part of it was because of how we were taught to look at story mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in very simplistic ways. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like it has taken me years to kind of start to do better with that. I don't know. I don't know how you feel about that, but. Yeah, I think I think I would agree. I mean, and it, it is it is definitely possible to to watch this movie and only take away a, a relatively shallow meaning from it, mm-hmm. uh, and have but, enjoyed it very much. Uh, <laughs> right? You might you might have there might have been a few parts where you're like, I don't, uh, that's kind of weird, and then the end probably would have left you scratching your head. But yeah. <laughs> there's enough. There's plenty in there to just keep you entertained. Yeah. I just tell you, like, there's just, I just, there's every everything in this movie I love. Like, there is nothing bad in the movie. Everyone is good. One thing that I think I think I actually have this. This strikes me every time I watch it because I I tend to think of it as like a three hander. You've got Josh Brolin and you've got Tommy Lee Jones and you've got um, Javier Bardem. Sure. And I tend to think of it as like the three of them are like the co leads. I, I tend to forget the degree to which Josh Brolin is the lead of this movie. Yeah. Like, he is the perspective character for, like, 90% of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not quite 90, but definitely the definitely the vast majority. Tommy Lee Jones' character really, like, he has the opening, the voiceover in the opening, and then he has the whole ending. Like, the the, the last two scenes are all him. And he shows up periodically. Through he, right, but he only kind of pops up periodically throughout the movie. Um. No, I mean, I think I, we see more of, I think, Bar- both Bardem and Sperlin than Joe. Yeah. And, and, and you know, Bardem is, I believe he won an Oscar for this. This he was did, kind of yes. his, mm-hmm. he'd been around before this, but I think this was kind of the thing that everyone noticed him. Um, he was in Collateral before this, which I didn't see, but I know a lot of people really loved that movie, so I wasn't sure how big his role was. He was in Collateral? Okay, but maybe not very big then. Yeah, no, uh, I, I watched that movie within the last couple of years, and I don't remember him in it. So He played someone named Felix. No, I mean, uh, that movie was very much about the two main guys. I don't, I don't okay. think there was anyone else who was... And then he was in The Sea Inside, which I know was very well-received, but, but like, artsy well-received. So, yeah, I think No Country for Old Men was probably his yeah. big, like... Yeah, um, and he's the movie. Like the movie starts with voiceover from Ed Tom, but what you're seeing is him. Yeah. Uh, the whole the whole opening. Once we have this this voiceover of of Ed Tom takes place over a, a scene of him being arrested. I assume intentionally, and, and we never we never find out what exactly he's been arrested for. Right. But I kind of assume he allowed that to happen. 
I would assume uh, yes. Yeah, um, and we get and then it goes to that great, just I mean, talk about a fantastic character introduction. Oof. Of that, you know, he's at the police station, sitting handcuffed behind this guy, and we get this shot of a, a close-up of this guy, a sheriff on the phone talking about, yeah, we we brought him in. He had this tank thing with him, whatever. And in the background, you see him stand up and step over the handcuffs so his hands are in front of him and come up behind the guy. And as soon as the guy hangs up the phone, he just wraps the handcuff chains around his throat, pulls just him right out of his chair. Brutally murders him. I yeah. I always forget how fucking graphically violent this movie is. Right. And it is partly because it never it's not ne- that never feels like the focus. Like right. it's just And that, that is again, that is often the case with mm-hmm. violence in Coen Brothers movies. Like they they do not shy away from how gruesome a violent death is is likely to be. Yeah, no, and but I had... It's, I never, had it's never the point. No, it's not the point. They, they don't linger on it, but it's there. I mean, I, I had completely forgotten in that open scene. I mean, I remembered that he killed him, but I didn't remember that his handcuffs literally, like, sliced open his throat. Like, it was... Right. It's and so his graphic. Wrist too, like, and his wrist, yeah. And there's that, that fantastic visual detail of the boots scuffing up the floor. Oh, yeah. Which is, like, that's the kind of thing that, like... You know, it, it it really it really adds to the experience having it as a movie like that is it's just so good. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And we, you know, I mean, Llewellyn Moss, as played by Josh Brolin, um, is like he's an interesting dude. For some reason, I always think of Shane when I see this character and Shane isn't exactly like interesting. Llewellyn. I, I don't think that he would for one thing, be stupid enough to, like, hunt down the money. Um, but <laughs> but just in terms, I think, of being sort of like a like a pretty quiet... But, like, he's funny. You don't get to see it a ton in this movie, but I feel like his interactions with Carla Jean, you can tell yeah. he is funny, and they have, like, right. a... They have a good, a good dynamic, and who can do so many things. He's just, like, he's clearly a guy who, like, works with his hands, who just, like, really... I don't know, for some reason, it always... Makes me think of Shane. I don't know why. Um, yeah. He's he's a bit of an enigma as a character. Yeah. I mean, we don't really know why he does anything. Right. Right. Yeah. There's never really. He never has like a line of dialogue where he explains why he decided to take the money. There's an impression. I mean, he he tells Carla Jean she's retired. He like it feels like he does want to. They live in a trailer park and like it's you know they were they're not exactly wealthy people and you know but that's exactly it like. It, it never tells us why he decided to take the money, but you can kind of put, you know, he took the money for the same reason everyone else would take the money. Right. <laughs> it's a bag full of $2 million. Like, and he was in it, the war and he's good with his hands and he feel, you know, he doesn't really realize that he's over his head. I mean, right. probably he ever. Doesn't, he doesn't know. I think he figures it out when Woody Harrelson visits him in the hospital. Maybe. Uh, but, but he still thinks there's a chance. <laughs> well, right. But then he gets pissed off and he lets that overwhelm his uh self-awareness i think <laughs> but uh but yeah no that is that is definitely a thing with him is that he in spite of the fact that he keeps like barely getting away he does keep getting away and so he he doesn't realize how much of that is luck but <clears throat> i don't know i maybe maybe we should kind of walk through the plot a little bit as we go here sure um, um so we have this opening scene where we're so we're not skipping around quite so much I mean, I think it's a little late for that, but we have this scene where we see we're introduced to Shigur and we see um, then we see Llewellyn uh, hunting out in the desert. And he, you know, 
hits a deer, but not well enough, and <laughs> comes down to fight. Right. He doesn't sort of, bring it down; it runs off. Yeah. So he sort of stumbles across this shootout scene um, with a circle of trucks and a bunch of dead people and a dead dog. And I was amused at how many times they point out the dead dog. Yeah, uh, everybody saw it had to point out that, oh, they shot the dog, yeah. Which, I mean, was the first thing that I thought, too. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he, you know, finds one guy that's still alive and is begging him for water. And he's like, I don't have any water, which I thought it was weird that he was hunting in the middle of the desert with no water. But whatever. Yeah, I thought that was a little weird, too. I mean, he hadn't planned on having to actually trek out into the desert, obviously. But, but even if he would brought that deer down, it was like half a mile away. He would have had to go ways to get it. But, right. But whatever. Um, So he kind of just leaves the guy there. He checks the back of the truck, and there's um, a lot of heroin. Right. Uh, It's a a pickup truck that's literally the bed is full of bags of drugs. Yeah. And he just kind of is like, yep. And then he heads out, figures out which way the last man standing went. And he he is very careful, right? I mean, like, he is Mm -hmm. careful. Like, he, you know, he sees where the guy, he figures out the guy must have gone to the shade. We we see he's smart. He, like, figures it out. He gets his binoculars. You can see the guys there. He waits for quite a while. Um, right, to make sure he's not just resting. Right, and eventually, yeah. you know, he goes up there, and sure enough, the guy's dead. He has a, um, like, briefcase thing next to him, and uh, and he looks in it, and there is um, $2 million in cash. And so he takes the money, mm-hmm. and he heads home. Now, um, Carla Jean is like, where you been? And they have sort of a cute little... It wouldn't be cute if it wasn't played perfectly. Like, right, no, it, it's she's great, Kelly McDonald. It fantastic. plays that she just nails that role, and the two of them have, yeah, they have a really good dynamic. Yeah, yeah, I feel like you really come out of it understanding that they do really like love each other, even though it's kind of a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic between them. Right, but if like if she were like a hair off. Yes. Oh, perfect for that role. It would be like, this guy's a fucking dick. Yes. Why is he talking like this to her? Exactly. But instead, yeah. you see something but, but really But they different. nail it. It's perfect. Um, yeah. And then he wakes, or he doesn't go to sleep, or he wakes up in the middle of the night. But we have, right, no, no, we have we have a, a, a Coen Brothers staple, which is the, the, sh- the downward shot looking down at a guy laying on his back, unable to right. sleep, having a, 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 a revelation or a, you know. A, okay. What do you think he went out to the desert for? I think he went out to try to help the guy who was still alive in the truck. Okay, that is or at also least that was, at least that was part of at least that was part of his. That had always been my read. Morgan was like he went back to get some of the heroin, and I was like that had literally never crossed my mind. Um, he obviously brought the water, and Morgan was like, "Well, yeah, I think he was going to do, but I think he, you know, you grab one or two bricks of that," and I'm just like, "I don't." That, no, really, I don't, that really I don't changes that. shit. I don't buy that. Okay. I don't think he was interested. He wasn't interested in getting into the drug trade. Yeah, I didn't think that doesn't, either, but that I, doesn't add up. I was just curious because that was Morgan's thought. And I was like, I never no. ever thought of that. Does that? No, no. I, I think he had he had been it had been eating at him at the back of his mind ever since he left that guy. Like, you know, I should have done something for that guy. Right. I shouldn't have just left him. And he decided he was going to go back and and see if he could still help him. I think that's, that is my, that is my read. It doesn't make any sense to me that he would have been trying to get some of the drugs. That doesn't add up with what we see of him. Yeah, I, I agree, but I was just curious. because <laughs> That is also my read on the situation. Um, right. But he, he tells his, like he tells his wife, like, you know, if I don't come back, <laughs> they have that, they have that great exchange. <laughs> if I don't come back, tell my mom, I love her. And she says, Llewellyn, your mother's dead. He's like, like oh. oh, I'll tell her myself. <laughs> 
It's so good. It's so good. He's clearly he he's he's fully aware of like he he is not under any illusions about how dangerous this situation is. And at, at this point, at this point, he's not under any illusions about it. And he he knows that going back there is a stupid thing to do because other people will be coming to look for this stuff. And realistically, with what we find out later in the movie, it wouldn't have mattered. Like, yeah. they had a tracker in the thing. They would have driven mm-hmm. around. Sooner or later, they would have found it. He Like, it, it just, it, I don't think it would have mattered. But I do think it tells us something about him as a character that that's what he did for better. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So he goes back. The guy's fucking dead because, of course, he is. Um, <laughs> and while he's down there, again, just these great fucking shots of him. Like, he looks up and he sees his pickup truck on top of the hill. And he finds it. And then he looks back up and now there's two pickup trucks on top of the hill. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like the silhouettes in the far distance. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like dawn is just breaking so it's, it's like just enough light and it's it's really fantastically oh, well done yeah so good it's so good so they, they come down they try to shoot him they manage to get some buckshot at him but uh not a serious shot i guess L- Llewellyn incidentally has truly insanely high pain tolerance and yeah let's <laughs> not yeah. react to much he has a whole chase over where he like runs into the river he has to kill a dog that was sad yeah, they stick a dog on him, and it comes into the river after him. Yeah, yeah, and he kills he kills the dog. He gets home. He's gonna see. He sends Carla Jean off to her mother's in Odessa. Oh, in the in the opening monologue when Tommy Lee Jones is is talking about a kid that he sent to he sent to the electric chair in Huntsville. Shout out to Allison. Allison's. Home. Oh yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, so yeah, so he sends his he sends his wife off to Odessa to be with her mom, and she's clearly very worried, but like also knows like she's not going to be able to stop him from whatever he's doing. And again, it really wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> like by this point, <laughs> they've already got Sugar after him, and uh, Sugar doesn't care about the money and <laughs> would have killed him no matter what. So. Um, we see a scene of Sugar, 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 I'm not Sugar, Sugar, um, of him like going out and looking around and figuring out like kind of what's going on and then shooting the two like admin guys. Right. He gets, yeah, a couple of the, the guys who I guess were, um, what, who, who were represented whatever the, the American side of this drug deal were. They, they bring him out to, to, oh, to look over the scene and he takes the, the transponder for tracking the money and then shoots both of them. Yep. Um, and then and then we get Ed Tom heading out, taking Loretta's horse, uh, his wife, who doesn't get a lot to do, but um, she's she's played by uh, Tess Harper, who's great. Um, yeah, she's a, a great. There's a lot of great like character actor folks in this, mm-hmm. um, including Gary Dillahunt is his his deputy. Who I love Garrett oh, Dillon. That's such a great I mean, job. He, he shows up in this kind of thing a lot. He plays a lot of this kind of role. Also, Stephen Root is in this movie. Um, yeah, Beth yeah. Grant. It's it's a <laughs> just a lot of fun people. Um, yeah. And so he, uh, um, so then Ed Tom goes out to the crime scene with Wendell. It's, it's deputy. His deputy. Yeah. Wendell. Um, and they head out there, and they. The back and forth between, and honestly, like banter makes it sound too fast paced. Like just the, the pacing of and the lines back and forth between Wendell and Sheriff Bell are just so funny. That mm-hmm. <laughs> truly, yeah. 
It's just so good. Well, and you have at at first at first it seems a little bit like the dynamic is like the dim-witted deputy and the sort of eye-rolling tolerant older sheriff. Right. And it has a bit of that sort of cadence, but he, he's the, the deputy is not an idiot. Like no. he he's perfectly capable of going out to the scene and figuring out exactly what would happen just based on looking around a little bit. But they fall into that like you know the the dumb kid dynamic. Yes, yes. Um, so so whatever. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones is smart enough to like figure out you know like roughly what happened, but is also I think just he well and he recognizes Llewellyn's truck. That's the other. Mm-hmm. He knows right. that he knows that it's Llewellyn's truck. So whereas uh, Shigur has already taken the vehicle plate um, and has figured out where he lives, so he's already made it to Llewellyn's house, but not before Llewellyn and Carla Jean get out of there. And we see him uh, in what we will see several times: him shoot out the lock with this. Uh, right. He has this this uh, pressurized air gun thing that's used for killing livestock. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he uses both as a weapon and as a tool very effectively. It's like the, uh, it's like the sonic <laughs> screwdriver or something, just really... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> and he comes in and looks around, finds their phone bill, takes that, um, sits down with a with some milk. <laughs> um, goes and tries to find out where Llewellyn works. Does he kill that woman? I don't think no. so. No, he doesn't because there's someone else there. That's right. That's right. Okay. Someone flushes a toilet and he's like, well, that's going to be more trouble than it would be worth. That's my read, at least. So he doesn't kill her, yeah. but he figures it out anyway, because of course he does. Um, Tommy Lee Jones and, and Wendell end up at the scene shortly thereafter. And Bell, you know, Sheriff Bell is frustrated because the milk is still sweating. So right. they uh, just missed him. <laughs> yeah. And Wendell's just like, oh, we just missed him. Yeah. <laughs> we got to put out an APB. And Sheriff Bell's like, for what? A man who has recently drank milk? Right. Because they don't know anything about him at this point. <laughs> and it was like, that's so frustrating. <laughs> Have we... Did we skip the scene in the gas station? I feel like that happened before this. It is entirely possible. I have a really... The scenes are in an interesting order in this movie. Yeah. I can't necessarily keep all of them track. But the, the scene in the gas station is one of the, like... It's the, the coin toss bit that is one of the most... The things that people talk about most from this movie. For good reason. I mean, it's a, it is a... It's just mind-blowingly good scene. Yeah. <laughs> Where, uh, and it's a, it's a good, it's a good uh, sort of insight into Sugar's M.O., which is just this sort of chaos agent. Uh, <laughs> right, who believes he's following some sort of, I don't know, preordained fate path. Well, it's not so much that it's... I don't, I don't know that he believes it's preordained necessarily. I think preordained is the wrong word because that, that implies some sort of, like, oversight. I think inevitable would be a better word. <laughs> like, uh, it's it's like a force of nature. It's a you know, it's a it's just the way things are going. Right. Uh, and there's no meaning to it. You know, he yeah. gives he he gives this guy the coin. He says that's your lucky coin now. Don't put it in with the others. It'll get mixed up and become just another coin, mm-hmm. which it is. <laughs> <laughs> like he has this whole kind of, you know, things have the. It seems like this stuff is important, but. The gas, station, the gas station attendant is played by Gene Jones. He's another great um, character actor guy, yeah. You know, he's not even been in... He only has 39 credits, but um, I've definitely seen him in 
multiple things over time. And, you know, and you can tell he's, he, there's sort of a, the, the thing that cro- the thing that crossed my mind while I was watching the scene this time was, you know, Shigor comes in and is like, you know, how much and, and is clearly like annoyed with it. The guy like notes that he's from Dallas because of his plate. So of course he's stolen the car and mm-hmm. he doesn't, after murdering the owner, <laughs> he doesn't want to. And so, you know, you can tell he's merely thinking about killing him. And there's a there's an element with this dude that I think, I mean, I don't think it's just this guy, but, like, he's sort of like a, he's sort of a dumb type of character who comes across. But, yeah, he, he's a he's a bumpkin. Right. I think that would be the But he senses <laughs> danger. Like, it's a, yeah. it's like almost like an animalistic thing. Like, right. like you know, Shigur is the is the predator here. And, right. like, he well, under- can, I mean, Shigur gives off that vibe. Right. With, like, completely unrestrained. <laughs> Right. And like, and this guy, this guy is the prey um, and is like realizing that he is prey and is trying to like talk his way out of it. And then like, (laughs) and finally, Shigor says, what's the most you've ever lost on a coin toss? And he's like, I don't rightly know. Um, (laughs) And he tosses the coin, flips it and gives him this whole speech about how this coin is from 1958 and has been traveling, you know, 32 years or whatever to get to this exact spot, 20 point, years. 22 years, yeah. and you know, you have to call it, um, and he's like, well, I don't know what I stand to win, and he's, everything. What does that mean? <laughs> everything. And so finally he does, he calls heads, and it is in fact heads, and he tosses in the coin, and you know, says, like Joel said, to, to keep it, don't put it with all the others. Um, it's your lucky coin. You'll make it like the rest of them. Which it is. And then he talks <laughs> And well, and that we also, I guess, then missed the scene where he stole that car, where he pulls this dude over. He's in a cop car because he stole well, the right, cop car. Right, because he killed that cop at the start and takes the, takes the sheriff's car. Right, and, and the pulls over someone else. And, pulls over yeah. someone else, gets out of the car, dressed obviously zero percent like a police officer, um, right. carrying this like tank thing, um, and walks up to the guy who seems not at all concerned. Has no <laughs> right, a little confused, but not worried. Confused, but yeah. not worried. Tells him to get out of the car. He just fucking does. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm not saying it would have saved him, but man. Uh, <laughs> and and then he's like, hold still. Yeah. <laughs> and he just holds it up to his head and, and kills him. And the guy looks a little nervous, but just does, but doesn't like argue or anything. So I mean, the rest of the movie is the movie is Llewellyn on the run. Sheriff Bell is trying to get to him first because he understands that something bad is after him. Right. Um, and thinks he can protect him, which I'm not convinced would have been the case, but, uh, no, probably not. <laughs> and, uh, and then Javier Bardem is Anton Chigurh, uh, chasing, chasing him down and, and him getting away largely, I mean, like, yes, somewhat through skill. Certainly I would have been killed way before that. He is smart and he does do his best, but also for sure through a fair amount of luck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't know if we want to go like scene by scene or if you want to. We probably, we probably don't need to, but I Is there mean, any favorite scenes you want to. There's. <laughs> There's some some really good stuff with uh, at, at one point he manages to hit Shigur with a uh, with a shotgun uh, in this in the leg and we have this is the scene that is more than anything is reminiscent of the the self surgery scene in the Terminator 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like that must have been because that is kind of that is kind of what Shigeru is like. He's he's like this force of nature, this unstoppable, mm-hmm. violent force yeah. uh, who seems he, like he's not quite human. Mm-hmm. And we have this scene of him, you know, he 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 goes to a pharmacy and creates a diversion by blowing up a car. And then As you just do. Walks Walks in and steals a bunch of shit, and then goes back to his hotel and like does this this surgery surgery on himself to remove the the shot. Yeah. Um, really, yeah, quite a, a visceral. There's, I have I have kind of a fascination with like it's a thing that you see in a, a lot in movies, particularly like in western types of movies. This isn't quite a western, but it has a lot of that DNA mm-hmm. of like the self surgery. Interesting. <laughs> having, to, having to like remove a bullet from yourself or stitch yourself up or whatever uh, and I always find it kind of fascinating and this is a really good example of it it, it certainly is that um, I will say that one thing that just came up came to me time and time again there's all of these moments I mean the gas station moment is maybe one of the longer ones but you know there's all of these moments with these like small characters both Llewellyn and um, Anton interact with this woman who runs the hotel Mm-hmm. Um, and just these like small characters where one, I mean, they're extremely funny in like, <laughs> like right. not in great this. comedy beat with great comedy beat with the like Llewellyn had gone in to ask the, the, the hotel clerk person for a second room and asked to like see a map. And she's like, well, I think we have one somewhere. She's clearly like very annoyed about it and brings out a map or whatever. And then when Shigur gets to the hotel, we just get this quick shot of him in there with her looking at the map. <laughs> People in one day have made her drag this damn thing out, and she's so annoyed about it. She's so annoyed. Well, and in that moment, when he chooses, but she's like, "You can have the one right next to your room," and he's like, "No, I want this one." And she's like, "It has two double beds." <laughs> it's such a waste. And it's she. Aside from how like genuinely funny most of these interactions are, and not, I think, in a way that feels like. It's it's not feeling like these people. I mean, maybe they're a little stupid, but it, that's not the point. Like, it's not making fun of them exactly. It's just like this absurdist situation that they are not prepared to deal with. <laughs> and but also, again, just like what really struck me watching it through this time was just like the language is so like you can tell that McCarthy just like labored over like exactly where they were going to put, you know which y'all and which like, <laughs> like yeah. and, it, and there are like phrases I can't think of any off the top of my head now but there are a couple of phrases in there that I had never heard before or, I mean I have obviously because I watched the movie but that I'm not like familiar with um, just like these sort of you know uh, regional colloquialism ones. yes colloquialism yeah. that's what I was looking for um, and just so yeah I mean just like the way that everyone talks is so I don't know it's just so it's so good it's <laughs> And every line hits. Right. Like, there's just not there's, a line that doesn't hit. And there's there's so many, like, it, this is a movie where there, there are lengthy sections of this movie that have no talking. Or music. Uh, <laughs> or, yeah. But... But like it, every time there, like there's there's this great scene between Ed, Tom, and uh, uh, what's her name? His wife. Loretta. Not his wife. Oh. Not uh, his wife. Uh, uh, Carla, wife. Carla Jean. Carla Jean, yeah. They have that scene in the diner together where he's trying to convince her to tell him where Llewellyn is because like he's in trouble and he probably doesn't realize how much trouble he's in and I can help him, whatever. And he tells her this story. Of, <laughs> oh my God. That, oh my God. Yeah. Go this, ahead, go ahead. this story about this guy that he had known 
who used to to slaughter cattle and back in the day they would just hit them on the head with a hammer or whatever and knock them out and then they'd string them up and cut their throats mm-hmm. and this guy had had one that came to after he hung him up from the ceiling so he's this you know 600 pound steer going nuts and the guy pulls out a gun to shoot it in the head but because it's moving around so much it ricochets and comes back and hits him in the shoulder and like he still can't raise his arm and his his you know his his final point is that even even in the contest between man and steer the end is not certain right right so we shouldn't be assuming that Llewellyn will be okay in this uh, but then later she calls him and asks him if that was a true story. <laughs> He's like, well, it's certainly true that it was a story. <laughs> he said, I can't, va- oh, I can't remember the exact, but it's something like, I can't, can't, va- I can't details, vouch for the but... details, but it's certainly true that it was a story. <laughs> Which is such a fucking so, good like, line. Did he make that up off the top of his head to make a point, do you think? Or was it a story that he heard? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it could have been either one. And it was, it was even great... always just like there's a when we first we haven't even mentioned hardly Woody Harrelson in this. He's sort of a secondary. Right. He's he plays a very, he's a very small role. He right. doesn't he doesn't come into it until early in the third act, really. But when we first meet him and he sits down in the office of uh, Stephen Root, um, yeah. Stephen Root says, did I say you could sit? And he says, no, but you strike me as a man who wouldn't want to waste a chair. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this is another interesting thing that we should talk about, though, because <laughs> up until this point, the people that we have seen in the drug scene have been the cartel guys who are running the stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a bunch of them dead out in the desert. And we've seen those two guys who brought Shigur out there who were like, they were suits. They were clearly not like, you know, street level dealers or whatever or smugglers. Mm-hmm. But it's not until we get to Steven Root's character who is like, it's not clear exactly who he is, but like he works in a high rise. Like he is clearly yes. Like he he is clearly a quote unquote legitimate businessman of some kind, mm-hmm. and he is he he is literally just hiring an assassin in his office. <laughs> like that's and this is this is the you know the the rot goes all the way up. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it's it's not just it's not a thing that is coming from the bottom. I. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm looking through quotes on IFTV now. The exact line was, Sheriff was not a true story about Charlie Walzer. And, and Tom says, who's Charlie Walzer? <laughs> Charlie who? Oh, well, uh, a true story? I couldn't swear to every detail, but it's certainly true that it is a story. Another good one above this is Wendell saying, that's very linear, Sheriff. And, and Tom says, well, age will flatten a man. Yeah. <laughs> Which, oh, just so good. Uh, or yeah. Wendell and him in the desert. Um, you know, there might not have been no money. And Sheriff says, that's possible, but you right. don't believe it. No, probably I don't. It's a mess, ain't it, Sheriff? If it ain't, it'll do till the mess gets here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's just, oh, it's just, there's so many good lines. Yeah. And, then, and you know, the, the whole thing eventually culminates the way that it all has to. With the the cartel guys catch up to Llewellyn, uh, mm-hmm. and a very interesting choice. The guy who has been our main character through the whole movie dies off screen. Uh, that I remember that really threw me the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, why? I feel like I miss like he can't be dead. Like, it's like it skipped yeah. the scene. Like he could be dead, but like. I feel like the like the the print was missing a scene or something. <laughs> like how did we not see that? But. You know, it's because uh, we have had a perspective shift and Ed Tom didn't see it. So we didn't see it. <laughs> he showed up 
just too late. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he has he has his exchange with the local sheriff. Oh, yes, I have about, that one. I have that one here too, um, or part of it. Uh, if you told me 20 years ago I'd see children walking the streets of our Texas town yeah. with green hair, bones in their noses, I just flat out wouldn't have believed you. Right. Uh, <laughs> and Tom has the line about, you know, as soon as you, people stop saying sir and ma'am, that's, yeah, you know, that's the... downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> there's just, there's so many. Oh, this exchange, I'm just going to be annoying and quote things here um where he asks his secretary if she found anything on the vehicles and whatever dea calls and uh uh, he doesn't want to talk to him and she says uh you know uh he's going back out there wanted to know if you wanted to join him that's cordial of him can i (laughs) learn that for me and tell her i'm going to odessa to see carla jean moss yeah sure i'll call her when i get there i call her now but she'll want me to come home and i just might you want me to wait till you quit the building Uh uh-huh don't want to lie about yeah. it without without what it's absolutely necessary. What is it Tilbert says about truth and justice? Oh, we dedicate ourselves daily anew, something like that. I'm going to commence dedicating myself twice daily. Might come many yeah. times before it's over. <laughs> it's just, oh, it's it's just so good, and every word is good. And some of the some of the subtleties. So there is a scene when. Um, I mean, Woody Harrelson gets uh, shot, um, and, we, and again, we don't even see we see we see the back of his chair, and we see right. Javier kill him. And there's when he's talking on the phone to Llewellyn, and he looks down and sees the blood coming, and he puts both of his boots up on the edge mm-hmm. of the bed to make sure the blood doesn't get on his boots. And in the end of the movie, where he has this just really excellent scene with uh, with Carla Jean, uh, where she refuses to make the call, and right. Know, and that, that you're right. We have we have in the end we have a refutation of his his philosophy of you know randomness and yeah. inevitability, uh, where you know she tells him like it's the coin doesn't make any difference. It's you. It's not up to the coin. Yeah, here. I'm not, yeah, I'm not playing this game. Like. Yeah, she says you don't have to do this. He says people always say the same thing. What do they say? They say you don't have to do this. Well, you don't. Okay. And he flips the coin. This is the best I can do. Call it. I knew you were crazy when I saw you sitting there. I know exactly what was in store for me. Call it. No, I ain't going to call it. Call it. The coin don't have no say. It's just you. And he says, well, I got here the same way the coin did. And we don't. And then we don't see anything. But when he comes out of that house, he checks the bottom of his boots. Right. And, and so we there, know. There was also an earlier scene where he, when he killed those guys in the hotel room where he sits down on the bed and takes his socks off because he'd taken his boots off. Mm-hmm. To be quiet, and then, but he had blood on his socks, so he takes them off. So he's just, <laughs> so I mean, it's these, it's these about, it's gorgeous, like subtle, subtle uh, things that you that you see going through again, and I just, oh, it's just so good. It's just. I, good. I have I have a question for you about yeah. that scene because he he tells her that he has to do it because he had told Llewellyn he would do it. He gave his word. Uh, right. And he wasn't going to go back on that even. Though. But, but he tells her that he tells her that Llewellyn had a chance to save her and mm-hmm. that instead that he chose to use her to try to save himself. Mm-hmm. Do you think that was an accurate description of Llewellyn's behavior at the end of the movie? I think that Carla Jean is right. And it wasn't like he said. I think that that yeah. is how Anton read his behavior. I believe that Llewellyn, even if it was stupid, believed that he had a chance and right. wasn't just going to and potentially didn't necessarily think he could trust Sugar to not go after her anyway, although I don't think he would have. Um, but like 
But more than that, thought he had a chance and thought he could manage it. Right. And that he was going to be able to do it. I don't think it was that he was like, you know, it wasn't like he took off with the money. He was going to try to stop this and make sure that he couldn't get to her. He just severely misjudged. Right. The situation. I, I, I agree with you. I was just curious. What so, you, yeah. You so I think I think that Carla Jean and I think that that is a that is another like really it's like it's like a, a really sad and touching moment that like she she does know her husband. And right. like she's not saying he didn't do that, but she knows that it wasn't for those reasons. And she right. doesn't doubt that even when she's going to get murdered by this dude. Which is sad. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, but accurate. Like, I don't think she was wrong. Right. But there's, there's another great little bit at the start of that where when she comes in and finds him there and tells it like, I don't have the money, you yeah. know, the money that I, yes. the little bit of money that I had is long gone. And then I just buried so my mother. Bills. I just buried my mother and I haven't even paid for that yet. And he's just like, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. This <laughs> <laughs> is chilling. <laughs> so, so good. Um, and well, and you know, and then there's this there's this major scene at the end that I I don't think I understood when I was younger, partly because it absolutely is a repudiation of Ed Tom's, where he goes and he sees Ellis, who is related to him somehow. Um, I think Ellis had been so his grandfather, Ed Tom's grandfather, had been the sheriff. Right. And I think Ellis had been one of his grandfather's deputies, I believe is what he said. There he had been he had been shot on the job and was like in a wheelchair now. Yes. So he goes out to visit him and it's seemingly this is a thing that he and his wife kind of take care of this guy. Yes. And he tells him some stories. One of the things that he says, um, Ed Tom says, the man that shot you died in prison. And he says, Angola, yeah. What would you have done had he been released? And he's like, I don't know, nothing. <laughs> Wouldn't it be no point? Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that. Well, he just says, I'm kindly surprised to hear you say that, but I mm -hmm. feel like I can say that with my accent. Um, <laughs> and he says, uh, well, all the time you try spend, you spend trying to get back what's been took from you, more is going out the door. After a mm -hmm. while, you just have to try to get a tourniquet on it. Your granddad never asked me to sign on as a deputy. Um, and so, and again, I think it's this thing of like, you know, he has this, you know, he has this idea that things are, and he keeps trying to ask him like, like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, what, <laughs> why are you quitting? Why are you? And he, and, and, and Bell has this moment talking to him where he says, you know, I always figured when I got older, God would sort of come into my life somehow. Mm -hmm. And he didn't. And I don't blame him. If I was him, I would have the same opinion of me that he does. Um... And then Alice gives him this whole speech, which and tells him about the story about like his great uncle or something dying, um, in uh, getting shot by Indians, um, and dying, and and he ends with what you got ain't nothing new. This country's hard on people. You can't stop what's coming. It ain't all waiting on you. That's vanity. Yeah. Um, and. The, I don't know, it's just, is there so much there? <laughs> like, because I listen to it, I'm like, this guy, you know, he's talking about, like, yeah, this country, this country's hard on people, I guess, also including the natives whose land was taken from them, mm -hmm. and who's like, <laughs> you know, like, like, but this isn't, you don't get to, like, hold back <laughs> the bad things and you feeling like, the fact that you can't means you can't do this job. I mean, you know, whatever. Fuck the police. But like, um, <laughs> yeah, that's a different, yeah, that's a different thing. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just, it's so, it's so rich and complicated and gorgeous. And 
it's just so good. And if you haven't watched it, go watch it. If you have watched it, probably go watch it again. Cause it's- yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I had, I had forgotten about the line about how he always figured when he was older, God would come into his life. Mm-hmm. I hadn't remembered that line and that line really hit me this time. <laughs> in, what, in what way? <laughs> just, I mean, uh, on the one hand, it's, you know, probably more relatable than uh, <laughs> than most of, of the dialogue going on in this movie. But I, it's an interesting, like, that was kind of the... He, he he's, His approach is, is that he, he has just always kind of assumed that in the long run, things would, would work out for the best. There would be justice. Or right. he would understand the justice. Yeah. He would that, be, that he he be would, a part of it. Right. And that the 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 things that he needed would sort of come to him, mm-hmm. uh, and he's he's just now in you know in his I don't know he's presumably supposed to be around the same age that Tommy Lee Jones actually is so in mm-hmm. his seventies he's you know he's realizing that's not going to happen, mm-hmm. uh, and there yeah there was it there was definitely something about it that really got really got to me this time. Uh, and then, and then we have that the the final scene. The final scene of him him telling his wife about these dreams that he had. Uh, that is honestly like I, I it's hard to even describe. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't sound like much if you just describe it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's a, it's, it's an incredible performance. It's an incredible and just an amazing piece of writing. Just I an amazing mean, piece of writing. Uh and you know these moments in here, you know that he both of the dreams had his father, that you know he's older than he ever was by twenty years. So in a sense, he's the younger. Yeah, man. that's, that's oh. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's there's some there's some good stuff in that. I mean, yeah. I think I think Mona's starting to come up on that. Like she's not older than her mom was yet, but she's right. starting to get there. And that and what does that mean? Like I mean, I, I feel weird about it sometimes. Like. You know, I mean, I don't talk to our parents anymore, obviously, but there are times where I'm just like, shit. Like, by the time mom was my age, she had three kids. She'd lost right. <laughs> like, like, I, like, getting to these different points in my life and realizing how, one, how different our lives have been. Like, how, like, unfathomably different <laughs> our lives have been and trying to imagine, like, being where she was. And it does give me, it gives me more, it gives me more empathy for her, not, not, not excusing anything, but the, it, mm-hmm. it helps me understand things in ways that, you know, I didn't when I was 20. Mm-hmm. And I assume for sure I'll feel differently when I'm 60, you know, like it's, right. it feels, it feels differently. And yeah, no, it's just a, Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and then it just, it just fades, just fades to black. And then, so uh, here's a question. Do you, do you take it? Cause it ends, he, he, he tells this dream about having encountered his father mm-hmm. in this mountain pass and he was crossing it at night and it was winter and it was cold and his father goes ahead of him. It doesn't stop to talk to him or anything, but he, he rides ahead of him and he knows that somewhere up ahead, his father is up there making a fire mm-hmm. and making a, a warm place and he'll be there waiting for him. Mm-hmm. And then he wakes up. So do you interpret that as do you I guess do you see that as a hopeful uh an optimistic ending or do you in- interpret the fact that he woke up as that kind of thing is fantasy <sighs> I 
know. I don't um, know either. <laughs> like he, I think. I mean, I think there is there is a level of. I don't know that I would go so far as hopefulness, um, <laughs> but I think it is it is a desire for hope, if that makes sense, and like you know, like a hope that there might be some that you know maybe not not something not so. I mean, we're not talking paradise here, but that maybe you know I don't know. I was I was looking at I I. I, I... I, I I lean a little bit towards a possible interpretation that this is his because he talked in his opening monologue he talked about how he always loved hearing about the old timers right never passed up an never missed a chance to do so mm-hmm. yeah always loved hearing about the old sheriffs and how they did things and including which would have included his father his grandfather and his father had both been sheriffs mm-hmm. and and he has he has this idea that looking backwards at the way things were done by previous generations is a way to illuminate what needs to be done going forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I feel like the dream fits into that, that he'd always had this idea that the, if, if he, if he found the correct path, the, the path of progress, Mm. it would lead him back towards the way previous generations had done things. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that this, the, maybe these events, uh, woke him up out of that idea. Interesting. But I'm not, I'm not committed to that interpretation. No, no, I'm not committed to interpretation. I will say I was just, I was just doing some Googling. There's a, a slash film article on the best Coen brothers scenes. Um, and they talk about this scene and they say, uh, in interviews, Tommy Lee Jones often comes across as terse and unyielding a man who does not suffer fools gladly. Um, but speaking to uncut in 2008, he offered one interesting takeaway for Bell's closing monologue. Um, and he said, the last speech is a contemplation of hope, a dream about however dark and cold the world might be, however long the ride through it might be, that at the end, you know that you will go to your father's house and it will be warm or to a fire that your father has carried and built for you. The last sentence of the movie is, and then I woke up. It's a contemplation of the idea of hope. Is it an illusion? Is it just a dream? And if it is, is the dream real? I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's a real it's it's. It's one of those things that I don't fully know how to interpret it, but it has no less of an emotional impact on me. <laughs> mm-hmm, for sure. <laughs> for all that. Like, it's, it feels it feels heavy in, like, the best way. I don't know. And I, I, I mean, I feel that way about a lot of... I, 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 would, I would go so far as to say that I feel that way about McCarthy's writing in general. Yeah. No, uh, I, no same and, there's, and, and, and about a lot of the Coen's work as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I said, there's all of their movies have layers to them that are, the, you know, that the, the more you, I uh, maybe not all their movies, but most of their movies, I would say you can watch them over and over and over again and keep, keep finding new, new layers to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause they really are. I mean, they're that good at directors and they're that good of writers. Yeah. I mean, they're, and, they are, they're fun. I read the Coens a lot of the times. I mean, they are, like they're they're myth makers, you know. Like they're telling mm-hmm. they're telling stories that are good stories, but have the the but are like attempting to tell these stories that have these deeper meanings, which is like the reason that we tell stories, right? Like, <laughs> and they just feel so like 
subconsciously aware of that. And sometimes that hits for me better than others, but regardless, like, it it feels, it, it just, it feels like it's, it's very deep and important most of the time. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, um, I don't know, we've been talking for a while. I... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't sure how much we'd have to say. I'm so glad we had so much. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I feel like we could you, we could go back and forth for longer than the movie is just talking about great moments from the movie. I mean, but probably so, probably so. But honestly, just go watch the fucking movie. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, any last words before we move on? I, I, I mean, again, I'm, you know, I'm I'm sure there's more to be said, but. Uh, I think I think we can we can wrap it there, I think. All right. Well, Joel, what are we going to finish if follow this masterpiece of cinema? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. We have seventy one uh, remaining. Let me see. Fifty nine. Fifty nine. Star Trek. Right. The Okay, see this. I, I noticed this on our list of things that we had watched from this. I have no memory of watching Star Trek for this group. I and think I, we watched I, it for a. I think we watched it for a fun night, but we Maybe. did watch it. Okay. So. All right. <laughs> I haven't seen it in years now. Probably not. I mean, certainly not since then. Assuming we did watch it for that. So. Yeah, same. Definitely same. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that'll be. Kind of a weird episode. I don't know how much we'll have to say about it, but <sighs> to be clear, JJ Abrams Star Trek from right, yeah, right. It's not Star Trek the motion picture, which no. is the official title of the original. No, no, Star Trek movie. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's that's what we're gonna do. Okay. Um... Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. Okay. You want me to go first, or? Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I don't know. I haven't actually been watching that much because I've been busy. Um, but <laughs> so let's see. So the last one we did was signs. Signs, right? Yeah. Oh gosh, I've watched so little. Okay. Uh, I don't have that many either. It hasn't been nearly as long this time yeah. between recordings as it often has been lately. So. So one thing that I watched um, with my new partner um, is. A movie, a movie called Cool Cat Saves the Kids, um, which I have now watched twice, and I'm about to watch a third time with Allison and Chloe in a couple weeks. And it is definitely one of the best terrible movies I've ever seen. Um, it is a movie made by a man named Derek Savage, who uh, is, an, is an interesting fellow and uh, has created the character of Cool Cat. He has written books, children's books about Cool Cat. Um, and this is a 75-minute movie from 2015 about Cool Cat, I, I guess, saving children from bullying, kinda? Um, and uh, he seems to have rented a giant mascot costume. And uh, and I don't know how to, uh, to accurately describe this movie, but it is remarkable. And <laughs> I've seen it twice. I um, am not sad that I will be watching it a third time. He, uh, Derek Savage also made a short film that came out a few months ago called uh, Cool Cat Fights Coronavirus. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's just, it's I genuinely like, don't, I, I want you to see it with your eyes and not hear about it from me. So I would recommend it. 
I guess I would. No, I would. I would recommend it if you like bad movies. If you don't like bad movies, then probably not. But if you do, it's it's a pretty remarkable example. <laughs> okay. Um, and then Morgan and I also watched Fireproof because they really wanted to see it. And apparently I needed to see it for a fourth time in my life, um, which is a lot of times <laughs> to watch. Yes, it is. Kirk Cameron movie Fireproof, but... We did that. We were stoned. Um, that helped. Uh, yeah, I imagine it would. Um, and then last night, Eric and I watched the original Halloween movie again because we're going to watch all of them mm. um, in preparation for the new a one. A chore. I mean, it's like seven of them. It's not. I don't know. It's not too bad. Um, really? I thought there were like twelve of them. I thought so too, but it turns out there are not. Oh, okay. Uh, things I have been watching on TV. I honestly. I've not been watching a ton of TV either, but there's a few things. Um, I started What If, which I am mind-numbingly bored by, but will probably finish because I'm broken on the inside. Uh, <laughs> I have not been watching that one. Not but. Um, And uh, the Good Fight's fifth season ended and was quite a thing. Um, and uh, I also have been watching Mr. Corman, although I'm a couple episodes behind. I watched the first three. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, it took me a minute to get into it, uh, but the musical number in the third one made me cry, so. Um. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been re-watching, yeah. um, I've been re-watching uh, Crazy X and Steven Universe with uh, with Morgan, um, which has been a good time, because I haven't watched, particularly Crazy X, I, don't, I think I watched it weekly as it was coming out. And I don't think I've watched any more of it since, um, or rewatched it since, really. And I have been watching. Oh, I've been watching Reservation Dogs. I just watched the most. Oh, I haven't started that yet. I, I'm I'm really excited for that, but I haven't have not started it yet. Excellent, really good, really good. Yeah. And uh, I think I'm one back in Ted Lasso. Okay. But um, been watching that as well. So, have not been watching a ton of TV because I keep going back and forth to Seattle and making out with person. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Brag about it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, what about you, Joel? Anything? Anything exciting? So, um, I have definitely been on kind of a horror kick lately. Cool. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm currently reading Stephen King's It. Okay. Uh, which I'm, I'm really into. Have you read that? I can't remember. I have not. That is a fucking brick of a book. I do know uh, that. Yes. <laughs> I, like, I knew it was long, obviously, because I've seen it. I've had it on my shelf for a while. But that book is almost 1,100 pages. Uh-huh. Uh, but I'm, I'm a little over 300 pages into it. I think it's great uh, so far, anyway. I really like it. Um, and I've also been I've been listening to this podcast called The Magnus Archives. It's okay. like a um, – I, I, it, it just ended. It just ended a five-year run, uh, and I, I heard about it. I just heard about it, like – maybe like three or four months ago and have, I just have blasted through it. I, I finished it, but, uh, it's a really good, like, um, kind of anthology horror thing. Um, so that's, that has been, so at any rate, this has been carrying over into my, my watching as well. Um, so last week, May and I were looking for something to watch and we were both kind of in the mood for a horror movie, but nothing in particular. So like we were scrolling through, I think it was Shudder we were scrolling through, and I came across this movie from 1990 that I had never heard of before. It is called Death by Temptation, D-E-F, 
Death by Temptation. Uh, it is kind of like a, I don't think it's quite accurate to call it a black exploitation movie because it came out in 1990, so I think it's too late to really be called that. Mm. But it's directed by a man named James Bond the Third. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, Samuel L. Jackson has a small role in it before he, this would have been like pre 1990, so pre fame Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, and the the, uh, the 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 plot summary is uh, on Letterbox here. The plot summary is. An evil succubus is preying on libidinous black men in New York, and all that stands in her way is a minister in training, an aspiring actor, and a cop that specializes in cases involving the supernatural. That's so many things to be. (laughs) And uh, so James Bond III himself plays the aspiring minister character. Obviously. And I... Like watching this, I was so fascinated by because I had never heard of this guy, and like he had this is his only he directed and wrote this is his only directing and writing credit. He had a few other acting credits. He was in School Days, which I haven't seen, but is early Spike Lee. Um, but uh, <laughs> and it has it has Bill Nunn, who uh, do you remember Bill Nunn? He was the the cop in Sister Act. Oh yeah, yeah. His face looks familiar. Yeah, okay. he's he's and he, he was also he was in Do the Right Thing. He was um, what's his name? The the guy that the cops kill at the end of Do the Right Thing. Uh, yeah, I I don't remember. Radio Rahim. There we go. Um. <laughs> so anyway, we, we we saw this this premise and like Samuel Jackson in an early role, and we're like, oh, we got to watch this movie how have we never heard of this uh so we watched it and it was actually like it was it was it was uneven (laughs) it was very very cheaply made but there's some like really good stuff (laughs) like surprisingly good stuff in it uh and it's 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 interesting it is is an oddity that i would say is worth is worth checking out okay okay. Uh, like i'm pretty sure it was on shutter i think that was where we watched it uh, and then, so, man, most of the stuff that I, I have this, this week is horror stuff. Um, <laughs> have you heard about the movie Freaky with Vince Vaughn? I don't think so. So this is a body swap horror comedy where uh, Vince Vaughn plays this serial killer who body swaps with a teenage girl that he's oh! killed. I feel like I heard somebody talking about this on a podcast like two years ago. Like, possibly, I don't know. Like it was at a uh, like maybe it was at a um, festival or something. It's a 2020 release, but it may have been early 2020. Well, I don't know. Early but, 2020 would, would would seem like 1,000 years ago. So yeah. Um, <laughs> at any rate, it, the, the the it it feels very much as though the pitch for this movie was Freaky Friday the Thirteenth. Um. And it, it kind of seems like that was what they actually wanted to do, but they couldn't get the the IP. Uh, Got it. So, but it is it is fun. Okay. Uh, okay. It's it's not like brilliant. It's not something that I'm going to want to watch over and over again or anything. But it's fun. Okay. There's some like good creative kills. Uh, oh, it's it's written directed by um, Christopher Landon is his name. He's the guy who did the Happy Death Day movies, which I believe you liked. 
Yes. If I remember well, correctly. I liked the first one quite a lot. I, I didn't think the second one okay. was that good, but the first one is, is way better than it should be. <laughs> okay. I, I have not seen those yet, although I've, I've heard good things, but yeah, same, same writer director. Okay. So there was that. And then, uh, May and I went to see the night house, mm-hmm. um, which is a new, uh, David Bruckner, uh, who he did a, he did a movie called the ritual for Netflix that came out a couple of years ago. That was decent. Uh, and then he's contributed to like the VHS movies and stuff. Um, so the night house is a, it is definitely one of the, the current trend of like horror movies that are actually just about grief. Right. Right. Uh, I do uh, tend the movie to like starts with, uh, yeah, no, me too. Uh, it's Rebecca Hall. Is oh, the, love the Rebecca lead. Hall. Okay. Yeah, she's great. And it, it starts with her returning home from her husband's funeral after he killed himself. Uh, and things get weird and creepy from there. I don't want to okay. get into it too much. But it also has Sarah Goldberg, who is the... Um, she's in Barry. She's the the main woman in oh, Barry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. HBO one. show. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and a few other familiar faces but uh it was pretty good i, cool. I liked it cool and then and uh just the other day i rewatched the brothers bloom because mm-hmm. uh, movie had it and i hadn't seen it since it came out yeah um and you know love ryan johnson so uh it's possibly my least favorite of his movies it is definitely my least favorite of um, his movies. yeah you, you like looper more than i did but i do like i i and i i like the brothers bloom too there's a lot of really good stuff in there rachel vice is great in it i remember uh, it feeling pretty uneven to me like there were parts of yeah it didn't it didn't land as a whole for me yeah but the, i i tend to like con artist movies mm-hmm. um and there's some fun stuff with that uh it has kind of like a, a wes anderson-y vibe it does which is probably also for a lot of it. why i don't like uh, it that much <laughs> yeah i mean it's not it's not as precise as wes anderson stuff is but it, it kind of and you know it has adrian brody in it which right lends to that um but it's good. It was, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Cool. Um, and then just right before we started recording, I went to see the new Candyman. Right. Uh, continuing the, the horror uh, trend here. Uh, I believe I talked a few episodes ago about having having seen the, the original in order to prepare for, for this new one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I won't, won't get into it too much because obviously it's still brand new and you haven't seen it and other people haven't seen it but uh it was it was decent i don't i don't think it's as good as the as the first one i thought it had i thought it was really good for most of it and it takes a weird turn at a certain point that i didn't follow it on and okay yeah i'm curious to know i'm curious to know what you'll think of it but yeah i'm um, looking forward to watching it this next weekend so uh as far as tv stuff goes um you know i'm still watching ted lasso uh, you know, see one new thing that I started watching is again continuing the horror trend. Uh, have you heard about the sh- the show on Netflix, Brand New Cherry Flavor? I mean, Netflix has recommended it to me a few times. I don't feel like I've heard that many people actually talk about it, but I haven't been on Twitter much either. So, <laughs> okay, so I decided to check this out based on the pedigree mostly. Um, it is uh, created at least in part by um, a guy named Nick Antosca, mm-hmm. who was a writer producer on the third season of um, Hannibal, 
which is my favorite TV show of all time. Uh, and he also was the creator of a show called Channel Zero, which was a horror anthology thing that is now on Shudder, I think. Which uh, I have only watched a few episodes of the first season. And to be totally honest, the reason why I only watched a few episodes is because... I was. It was when I was living in that basement apartment. And I was watching it in my room with the projector, and so I had to watch it in a dark room. <laughs> like it was. It was too creepy. I could. I could keep watching it, so I. I dropped it and I never went back to it. All right. Uh, but so I. And it also. Um, it stars Rosa Salazar, who uh, famously known as Alita Battle Angel. Yeah, I guess that's what she's best known for. But she's also the lead in that. Uh, the show Undone. Yeah. Yeah, no, she, and she's uh, the Amazon show undone. <laughs> Alita is not her fault. What was that? I, I is, she's great. That Alita is not her fault. Um, hopefully, I will not bring down the uh, the Alita stands onto us. <laughs> yeah, I hear there are. So. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it also has Catherine Keener, who's a favorite of mine. Love I her. love Catherine Keener. Absolutely, she's fantastic. And it has Manny Jacinto uh, from uh, The Good Place. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's the only other thing I've seen him in. But I really I loved him in the good place. Uh, so at any rate, I'm I'm four episodes in now. I think it's it's a mini series. I think there's eight episodes, but it's like Rosa Salazar plays this like this woman who wants to wants to become a film director. She's just made this like sort of experimental short film and has brought it to Hollywood to you know make her name. And uh, this big time producer. Uh, played by a guy named Eric Lang, who is kind of familiar, but I I couldn't time to anything in particular. I'm looking at his. Apparently, he was in Nightcrawler and he's in Wind River and uh, he apparently he was in the Blue Like Jazz movie. Apparently, uh, uh, so he's he's been around. I've seen him and stuff, but he plays this like kind of washed up, formerly major big time producer who has found her short and thinks it's brilliant and. It basically tricks her into signing away the rights to it, thinking that she's going to get to direct it, and then he double crosses her and gives it to someone else. Ah. Uh, so she goes to uh, Catherine Keener's character, who is a witch, sure. <laughs> to curse him to get revenge. Uh, and it's all so it's 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 set in the early '90s in LA, and it has like all this crazy witchy weird stuff going on, um, and. I mean, really weird stuff gets real weird real quick. There's a lot of like sort of Cronenberg-esque body horror stuff going on. Uh-huh. I'm I'm really into it. Uh, okay. It's it's one of the more interesting things that I've seen lately. So, okay. cool. Uh, I'm hoping that I'm not sure how it's gonna. Obviously, I don't know how it's gonna how it's gonna land in the end, but I'm I'm really liking it. Uh, I think that's I think that's the only new thing I've been watching TV wise. Um, so. as, as a note, not that it's super important, but uh, Manny, uh, Manny Jacinto? Jacinto? I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if you pronounce the J or if it's... Yeah. He was apparently in Bad Times at El Royale. Oh, was he? Yeah. In, was he one of the, like, the sort of anonymous sexy dudes who followed Chris Hemsworth around? <laughs> Maybe. His name is listed as wearing, quote, Wade Esperito. But I haven't watched okay. that movie in too long to remember. Um yeah. But yeah, so I've I, I saw we saw him in that, um, and he's also in this new HBO miniseries Nine Perfect Strangers, but I haven't watched that yet. 
I've yeah, I've been hearing some about that, but I, I haven't I have not watched it either. I mean, the cast is fucking stacked. I don't know if it'll. It has Michael Shannon, which is usually enough, honestly, in and of itself. Wait, it does? I didn't know that. It has Nicole Kidman, Melissa McCarthy, Michael Shannon, Luke Evans, uh, Samara Weaving, uh, Manny Jacinto, Regina Hall. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, none of those other people are people that are enough by themselves to get me to watch it. But I did not know that Michael Shannon was in it. Well, yeah, I don't know if any of those people huh. will be enough by themselves, but like all stacked together. Um, and at least makes me look twice. And yes, Michael Shannon is usually enough. OK, so. yeah, um, I'll have to I'll have to check that out now. We'll check back in next time. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe do that one next. All right. Well. Um, I guess next time we'll talk about Star Trek and how much I hate J.J. Abrams. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be a blast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see y'all later. Bye, everyone. Bye.